Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Thank you so much for joining us on this special edition of the Good Fight Radio Show. On today's episode, we're going to be talking with Dr. Jonathan Safati about Genesis, creation, the gospel, and a whole heap of discussion here. But I am excited to welcome Dr. Safati to the Good Fight Radio Show. Good day. Good day to you. Well, praise the Lord. It's nice to hear your accent there, of course, on our what end accent? from America. Mm. I'm sure we have a nice mm. accent as well, going back your way. But I think you're in America now. Is that right? Yes, I've been here for 11 years. <clears throat> Sorry, one reason is that, that we have two granddaughters who live here. It's so much easier to uh, drive 500 miles and fly 9,000 miles across the uh, ocean. Okay, so I'm now an American citizen as well. But yeah, you got the trifecta, right? So you got the New Zealand, Australia, and now American citizenship. Yep, that's it. Wow, you're All a real three. frontier man there, Dr. Safati. <laughs> but you know what? I, I think first, and I know I've, I've seen you on a number of interviews. I've read a number of your books now. And one of the things that I've seen a number of times is them talk about you as a chess player. But one of the things that fascinated me so much was the fact that not only do you play chess, you've won national titles for chess, you've gone against yeah. world champions and brought them to a tie, I believe. Yep. But Correct. you've yes. even done this blindfolded, is that right? Uh, but blindfold means see without sight of the board. So someone is explaining the moves, uh, what moves are being made, and you have to, to try and picture the board in your head and make a move, uh, which is then relayed to that person. So it's, a, it's playing from memory. Uh, whether it's a literal blindfold is not really the point. It's without sight of the board that is the point. So it's playing a number of games from memory, which I've done up to 12 before from memory at a, at a creation super camp, I did 12 players at once. Yeah. <laughs> Just incredible. And, yeah. and you're, you know, obviously a, a scientist yourself. Um, and you know, what is your background in terms of educational background in terms of being a scientist? Okay, I'm a PhD in chemistry, uh, specializing in spectroscopy. I used to shine laser light onto selenium ring and cage molecules, um, look at the scattered light, work out uh, the molecular bonding forces uh, from that. So I have quite a strong background in chemistry, a reasonable one in physics, a little one in geology, mathematics, but mainly it's, it's a physical chemistry background. Well, you know what? I, I have to ask you, you know, because you having this background in science and stuff, but then you're writing commentaries on yep. Genesis. And, you know, I have to ask because you have a Jewish background. Is That's that correct? correct? My name is the Hebrew word for Frenchman, so I can tell Jewish jokes and French jokes and get away with it. <laughs> well, well, perfect. Well, you know, I guess best way to start off, you know, we've talked about chess a little bit. We've talked about where you're living now, but how did you come to know Christ? Oh, that would be uh, going back to so many years, like probably maybe before you, you were born, uh, hard to remember everything, but there are a number of different um, aspects uh, of this. And <clears throat> from a scientific point of view, is just seeing how the real science I was learning was against the evolutionary dogma that uh, you imbibe through the system. 
like when, when the um, head of paleontology at my university in my first year geology class, he said the fossil record does not support Darwinian evolution. He said it seems to support a series of divine creations. Uh, he assured us he was not a divine creationist, and he tried to explain it away, but, but it's interesting that the evidence themselves, the fossils themselves, didn't show it. And there are various things in, in the chemistry courses were contradicting the claims that life could have arisen from non-living chemicals because the, the actual real chemistry I was learning contradicted that at every step. Well, and so when that took place and you saw that, and I didn't know, <coughs> what is your background in terms of growing up and what your family was believing in terms of, uh, you know, your household? Well, uh, I think my parents came to the Lord and brothers came to the Lord after me anyway. Um well, see, New Zealand is a fairly secular country where I did my education. My my university was quite well known as being a very secular place. So um, it's a case of having to come to it uh, by realizing it made logical sense as well. It's it's not a, a blind faith by any means. It had to make logical sense to me. And of course, I mean, I, I believe the Holy Spirit is the one who actually opens people's hearts and minds to the gospel. But I mean, in my case, it had to be uh, loving God with all your mind. Otherwise, it wouldn't really work for me. Yeah, praise the Lord. That's awesome. And then you wrote, and I, I think this is one of the better commentaries for me personally well, that you. I've read on the book of Genesis. And one of the one of the great things in the Genesis account is the fact that you interweave a lot of theology, even ecclesiology. You even go through a ton of science on every single chapter. And mm -hmm. you break these chapters up, not simply in, well, this is chapter one, this is chapter two, but you break it up somewhat in what the are the, the tall doths. Is that how I, I'm pronouncing yeah. it? I mean, see, your chapter and verse numbers were added. Um, humans were added them much later, uh, sort of in the last... Uh, probably a few hundred years ago, if I remember correctly now, but the natural divisions of the text are where it says the toldot, which means uh, these are the generations of, or this is what followed from. So toldot of Adam means what followed from Adam, etc. So these are the natural breaks of the text, and I try to organize my commentary around the natural breaks of the text and not the artificial ones. And now, how does that affect how we actually read the book of Genesis in terms of breaking it up in that way? Well, I think sometimes the chapter and verse numbers do a bit of a disservice. Like, for instance, uh, the days of Peleg, Genesis 10.25. Well, what does that mean? Could it mean continental breakup? But in fact, you find a few verses on, it talks about the earth. Um, had one language and one speech. So the earth that was divided in the days of Peleg is the earth that had one language and one speech. I was talking about the Babel division a few verses on, but someone decided to put a chapter number um, in the way so people might miss it. They go through Genesis 10, and they miss that Genesis 11 is only a few verses on. It's clearly what the days of Peleg is talking about. So I think um, the, the chapter numbers have, have done us a disservice in some respects. And now, when it comes to the Genesis account, you take a literal approach, where obviously the Bible is literal, and what do you believe are some of the best evidences for why we should look at Genesis, and when we open it and read it, we look at it and say, well, this obviously is literal when it talks about days and so forth. 
Well, okay, there are several lines of evidence. One is the actual structure itself. Like the, the genesis is loaded with a type of verb called the Vav consecutive. It's the, the type of verb used in the Hebrew historical narrative parts of the Old Testament. It says a, a consecutive means one unto the other. So the Vav consecutive says this thing happened, then this thing happened, then this thing happened, then this thing happened. And genesis is loaded with this type of verb just like you find in the undoubted historical parts of Scripture. So comparing that Scripture with Scripture, you find that Genesis must also be taken as history. And then you find things like parallel chapters. Like you look at Numbers chapter 7, you have a series of 12 consecutive numbered days where a member of each tribe would bring an offering to dedicate the altar. And no one seems to have a problem understanding that those days are ordinary days. So why is it a problem with Genesis 1, which I think is even easier because it says it's an evening and morning as well as a number day. Now, the only reason they want to doubt Genesis 1 is because supposedly science contradicts it, but they have no problem understanding what Numbers chapter 7 means. And then you look at the rest of the Bible, how it understands Genesis. Uh, people say that the days of creation are hard to understand. I don't think so, because God himself told us what he meant when he wrote the Ten Commandments commandments with his finger and said you work for six days rest for one because god created everything in six days and rested on the seventh day so he's told us what he means in genesis 1 these are ordinary days the model of our working week so if there were days if the days were long periods of time uh, do we have to work for six billion years and rest for one billion years was well, a nice long week kent or look forward to and then you find that Genesis is taken as straightforward history by Jesus and the apostles. They quote Genesis 1 to 11 about 100 times. And when you look at it, they accept the events, um, the people, and even the order of events as written in Genesis. And they use that to make deep theological points from it that presuppose the history of what's revealed in Genesis. So those are some lines of, of evidence briefly, which I, of course, go into far more deeply in the commentary. Yeah, no, that, that's one of the things I love about the commentary. As I said, it, it's really multifaceted in the sense that it's not just simply an exegetical look at the mm -hmm. text, but you do exegete text as well, but you also look at what other people believe about those texts, what the Hebrew, uh, some of the Hebrew mm -hmm. language that is used, and then you give a lot of scientific arguments um, from our, from your perspective as well, which I absolutely love in Thank that you. book, in the Genesis account. And, you know, if you ever did another one, there'd never be anything wrong with that too, but it is an excellent piece of, of work. But I, I also have to ask, because you have this literal understanding, and I think people need to mm -hmm. recognize too some of the ramifications of not having that literal understanding of Genesis, because I've seen you talk about this a lot as well, but some of mm -hmm. the ramifications that happen when those texts are taken as literal, for example, in terms of marriage, uh, man and woman mm -hmm. and so forth, transgenderism and all those things, how, what are some of the worldview ramifications of not taking Genesis as literal? Can I first of all say that literal interpretation is historically meant uh, what we call the grammatical historical method, which means uh, we take the meaning as it would have been understood by the original readers. You can call it originalist understanding, you know, what it's like with Justice Scalia and the Constitution and the text of the laws. He wanted to take it as the original readers would have understood it. That's what I'm talking about, originalist understanding. Now, the classical literal meaning 
understood there's such a thing as a figure of speech, but it's whatever the figure of speech in, um, told the original readers, that is what the meaning, the literal meaning of the text uh, meant. It's not wooden literalism. That is a dishonest caricature. I mean, we know perfectly well when Jesus said, I am the door, you don't go and look for a knob or hinges, okay? <laughs> so we understand figures of speech. But as, as straightforward history, what it said happened did happen. And you touched on that. Jesus, when he was asked about marriage, um, if you go to Matthew 19 or Mark 10, he said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. And in the Matthew passage, he even say, this is what the creator, the one who made them said. So God is the one who made them. And then he said that God is the one who actually said what the scripture said. So for Jesus, what scripture said is what God said. And uh, so much for the um, people who say, Jesus said nothing about gay marriage. Well, on the contrary, he actually defined marriage as a man, one man, one woman. He said, this is the way God designed marriage. This is the only type of marriage that Jesus recognized. And he said things like uh, a man leaves his father and mother, goes back to Genesis where Adam, the first man, had no father and mother uh, to become one flesh because Eve was taken from Adam's flesh. So when you have the history of Genesis, all the moral teachings of marriage make perfect logical sense. If you throw out the teaching of Genesis, then marriage has a, no leg to stand on either. I think that's one of the more powerful things about really getting a good understanding about Genesis and how I, I think one of the more important things, and I think you bring out, is the fact that this is what Jesus believed mm -hmm. about Genesis. And would you say that's probably one of the key factors, even in all of the Genesis account, or just in terms of us as believers? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if you want to say, I follow Jesus, but I don't believe what he said, well, what sort of belief is that? I mean, Jesus said scripture cannot be broken. So if you say scripture had things that are wrong, well, was Jesus wrong? And of course, that's an attack on his divinity. And some theistic evolutionists even say Jesus made mistakes. Well, if he made mistakes, he's not God. Then you look at the transfiguration account where God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So God the Father said, listen to what Jesus says. So is God the Father telling us to listen to someone who made mistakes? I mean, it's 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 pretty bad when when this sort of happens. I mean, not saying everyone who disbelieves young earth creation is not a Christian, but I think they haven't thought through the issues properly, though. Yeah, I think that's really important, and I I think people need to understand also the gospel issue here. So mm. I would love for you to break down maybe a little bit, and and I know you talk about this specifically even in Genesis when you talk about Genesis chapter three as well. But mm -hmm. the the gospel issue when it comes to understanding Genesis. Uh, in the account that we've been given by God. Well, I mean, there, of course, the people who say, well, forget about Genesis, just preach the gospel. Okay, then let's follow the example of the greatest gospel preacher in history, the Apostle Paul. When you go to the gospel resurrection chapter of Genesis 15, he it says the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, then he uh, was buried, then he rose the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, what scriptures? Paul goes on to explain what scriptures. He says, for, for as by a man came death, so by a man shall all be uh, made alive. So he's going back to Genesis 3, going back to Adam that he mentions by name. 
as the one who sinned and brought death, which must include physical death, because God said, you were made from dust, you're going to go back to dust. And that's why Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, he took on human nature, he lived a perfect human sinless life, and they died a human death to pay the penalty we deserve. And he clearly died physically on the cross, but that wasn't the end, because on the third day he rose physically from the dead. And see, Paul's that chapter emphasizes the bodily, physical resurrection that left the tomb empty. He appeared to 500 people at once to prove he was who he claimed to be. And Paul relates that to the death that Adam brought. So if you haven't got Adam bringing death, well, what? How? why did Christ come to die? If, if death isn't the punishment for sin, how could Jesus' death pay for our sin? And then Paul quotes Genesis chapter 2 by saying, well, the, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, and Jesus is called the last Adam. The first man had to be given life, and it came from the earth. The last Adam is the life giver from heaven. So Paul's gospel message goes back to Genesis 3 and Genesis 2. In fact, he even um, goes to Genesis 1 because he talks about the various things God made in creation. We can again the same things as I mentioned in Genesis 1, Paul makes a comparison with sun, moon, and stars, different types of, of light, uh, different types of flesh. He goes to the things created on days 5 and 6 and reverses the order deliberately to put man at the, at the front. So he's quoting the very first three chapters of Genesis in his famous gospel resurrection chapter, and he expects his readers to know what he's talking about. God, he didn't. Paul didn't have to say who Adam was. He didn't have to say what God made on day on the days of creation he expected his readers to know that which proves that the early church was discipled in the book of genesis right from the start i think that is humongous <laughs> in terms of our understanding here i mean this is so important for us to get and why it's so important to not get away from a proper understanding <clears throat> of what the biblical text has been given to us and one of the things that you talk about as well going back to Genesis, reading it as we've been given it by the Lord, is also the, the free will aspect and how mm -hmm. free will it plays into <clears throat> what took place with Adam and Eve and the serpent there in Genesis. Maybe, you know, you can elaborate a little bit on that as well. Well, I'm not sure what you're, you're asking here, but, but certainly Adam had the power of contrary choice and he failed miserably in the task because he could have um, not sinned and yet he did sin despite having this perfect environment, perfect upbringing, upbringing perfect teacher because God was his teacher, uh, no physical problems. And yet Jesus, the last Adam, he had... Um, human infirmity that he was um, um, starving in the in the de in the wilderness and yet he he f passed the test that Adam failed so you got got this connection there what did Adam do he failed Jesus with all the problems of modern fallen humanity he passed um, with with perfection so you got this again the contrast between Jesus and Adam. Romans 5 brings this out. Romans 6 brings this out as well. So, so it's very important for teaching Christology to understand um, the contrast with Adam and Christ. No, amen. I, and you go over that as well when you cover on chapter, um, chapter 3 of Genesis mm -hmm. in the Genesis account. And these things are mm -hmm. important for us to understand because we want to make sure that we 
are able to answer our critics. And that's something, yes. you know, mightily important and having this proper understanding from not only a biblical point of view, but a, a really a scientific point of view as well. And I know right. you've already talked about how this was the view specifically, this is what Jesus believed about the book mm -hmm. of Genesis, which, which you would think that would be the, the trump card there. But even yes. if it's not what the apostles seemingly taught in the scriptures as well, but also you dig into church history as well and what other people in in Christ over the years have taught concerning Genesis. Well, I mean, I think we've got to realize that we're not the first people to have opened the Bible. I mean, there have been great people before us who've done the same thing. And now I'm not saying, I mean, I'm saying the Bible is our final authority, um, but you see, if some, some teaching has never been taught until the last uh, hundred years or 200 years, then it probably wasn't in the text. So, so when you see the church fathers, they all believed in a young earth. Uh, the majority believed in six-day creation. Uh, when you get to Thomas Aquinas, he explicitly taught six-literal-day creation. Then you have the reformers unanimously about six-day creation because this is what the text teaches. It's, uh, we only find dissent from that uh, when long-age ideas started to become popular in the um, academic community, the, the um, uniformitarian geology around the year 1900. That is uh, the beginning of when the church started to capitulate on Genesis as I mean, a reliable history book. And that paved the way to Darwin because, see, if you don't, if maybe Genesis is wrong on history of geology, well, maybe it's wrong on the history of biology as well. Uh, and if long, um, slow and gradual changes produce the geology we see on the earth, then maybe they also explain the living things on earth, including mankind. So uh, the, the caution is, if the, these long age views were in the text of scripture, why do we not see them before they became popular in so-called science? It's because they weren't there. That's why. Not the gap theory, not the day age theory, not the framework hypothesis, and various other thing, um, weird and wonderful things like analogical dates. But these are all rationalizations to try to make the Bible fit uh, long age science. In quotes. <laughs> yeah, well, let me ask you one of those ones, because I, I would love to kind of dig into some of these theories, and you mm -hmm. can show us why you reject them wholeheartedly, whether scientifically or biblically as well. But how about the gap theory? Why, why is this, what is this, what is the gap theory, and how okay. is it being positive? How would you answer it? You see, that's a 19th century invention where, uh, what do you do with the fossil record? Well, maybe there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. When it says the earth was without form and void, let's pretend it says the earth became without form and void. And this is due to some sort of Lucifer flood. And you somehow jam the fossils into that um, imaginary gap there. Uh well, it doesn't make sense in the Hebrew, as I explained, because you can't, it, it doesn't make sense to say became here, because if you, again, we try and compare scripture with, with scripture, you find, um, yes, it had passages like Gideon attacked the Midianite camp and it became unsuspecting. Well, I think once you've been attacked, you're not unsuspecting anymore. Or uh, Jonah came to Nineveh and it became an exceedingly 
great cities is you can't do it there. So, uh, it makes, so it doesn't make sense to do it in Genesis 1-2 if you can't do it anywhere else with the same structure. And all these long-age theories fail because they put death and suffering before Adam's sin. But the Bible throughout the Old and New Testament, it says that um, death is the result of sin. Okay, so all these views put death before sin. And also, God created everything very good. Genesis 131, everything's very good. After God said it's good seven times, and seven being a number of perfection. The seventh time is very good. But the gap theory has Satan falling and all this animal death and destruction, in fact, human death there. And then somehow God says all this is very good. So God is saying that this death and suffering and bone cancer is very good. Well, what's very bad if all that's very good? That, that is a problem. There. That gap theory puts death, suffering, and disease before Adam's sin, and that's just not a no-no. Yeah, amen. I couldn't agree more. That's probably one of my biggest <laughs> issues with it. As well. And, you know, I, I've noticed that recently, you know, whether it's apologists online or so forth, uh, specifically, I believe it's Dr. Joshua Swamidas as well. Oh, he's bad news. Yeah. Well, he wants to basically um, ban, well, he wants to sort of de- um, de- accredit any uh, young earth creation uh, teaching. As I say, well, he called himself peaceful science, but he, he wants to commit uh, outright war against uh, uh, biblical creation. That's, but it's all right to team up with atheistic homosexuals like Nathan Lentz. He, he teams up with atheists to attack biblical creationists and ID theorists. And I think you can tell a lot from a person who he associates with. Well, I think that's a, I, <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's interesting enough. Yeah. I've heard him speak uh, and obviously have some strong disagreements, but mm. he believes in a the- theistic evolution uh, yes. model. So how would you counteract that biblically? And then how would you counteract that scientifically? Well, okay, biblically, again, that puts uh, death, in fact, human, in fact, all the long age views put human death before Adam. See, he wants to say that Adam and Eve could be the ancestors of everyone alive today, but there are other humans around. But Paul is explicitly saying that Adam is the first man. He's not one of a whole lot of hominids evolving from ape-like ancestors. He's explicitly the first man. He's the ancestor of every other person who's ever lived. They come from Adam and Eve. So that's a big theological um, issue with his idea of a genealogical Adam and Eve, which is not a a genetic Adam and Eve. It's a very weird sort of position. Um, But that's what you have to do to commit theistic evolution. And and, and there's usually failings in other areas when you start doing that. Where do you draw the line? What happens to original sin? I mean, if it doesn't come from a a literal human couple, a a lot of different things there. and human, see, human fossils have been dated by the evolutionary dating methods to be about 330,000 years old. These are undoubted Homo sapiens fossils. And again, you put a human death before Adam's sin. That again, that undermines Paul's gospel teaching in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. So you can't do it. And scientifically, evolution hasn't got a leg to stand on either. Because it has, first of all, uh, life starting from non-living chemicals, which is an incredibly complicated thing. But, I mean, Swami Das is, is bizarrely says you can have life without uh, protein coding uh, genes on an RNA world. But if you know anything about RNA, RNA is extremely unstable, okay? Uh, DNA is unstable, 
you might remember 2015, the Nobel Prize was awarded for discovering that DNA is incredibly unstable and life should not be possible were it not for um, amazing repair machines. Now, the RNA is 100 times less stable than DNA is. So the idea of life beginning in an RNA world makes it's chemically preposterous. It's too unstable. Uh, there's this current thing about RNA vaccines. You see, they have to be stored at very cold temperatures, but precisely because RNA breaks down so quickly. And that's one thing. And then you've got the idea of evolution having to explain going from single cell to multi-celled and then the origin of a lot of, of incredible minimal complexity for even the simplest life i mentioned before and for humans to explain the origin of language uh, and morality um if we came from pond scum the, the, i mean the apes supposed to do sign language they they can't even understand the simplest human sentence that that even a child can understand so, so there's nothing like human language in any of the other animals so that's a unique thing uh, for humanity which evolution really hasn't got a good idea about of course they're trying to explain it away but they, they really haven't come close Wow. You know, I, I think that's really important for people to hear as well. And we're obviously, we are talking with Dr. Jonathan Safati, and we are discussing not only the Genesis account, but also looking at some of the views that people have concerning Genesis, concerning how they try to get into these long gaps and so forth and put evolution inside of the book of Genesis, which I have no idea how they attempt to do that one. <clears throat> but but nonetheless, it, it this is an important topic, as you've been listening to that is a gospel issue in a, in a lot of ways. It really is. It's a worldview issue in a lot of ways. So we want to make sure that when we are handling the Word of God, we're doing so rightly when we mm -hmm. divide it and so forth. And I think that's really important. So I want to go over some of the attacks, whether Christian, sadly, or non-Christian. Mm. I've had young men I've sent away to Christian Bible College, and mm. then they come and tell me, you know, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, they're totally different. In fact, it's a different author oh, even. So I'd love for you to maybe explain to the audience here uh, whether or not Genesis 1 and 2 are two different creation accounts just taken maybe from the Babylonians or something. Well, okay. First of all, we mentioned Jesus affirmed Genesis. Now, he actually quoted from Genesis 1.27 and 2.24, and he clearly regarded them as the, about the same man and, wo and woman. He didn't clearly – he clearly didn't think there were, there were two contradictory different creation accounts because he conflated them. Um, and the whole point is to understand the ancient Near Eastern – uh, practice of recapitulation where they say uh, make a general um, account and then the next thing would would focus in on the most important part of it see genesis one which really should go up to two uh, four was about the creation of the whole universe and then it culminates in the creation of man gives a little detail about man being made male and female given dominion Okay, but Genesis 2 um, takes that and elaborates a lot more on the creation of man and woman. The man was created out of dust, and then he named all the animals. And that naming in the Bible is an exercise of authority. So Genesis 1 says God gave Adam dominion. Genesis 2 sees God exercising that dominion in the naming. And then God made Eve from Adam's uh, rib. Okay, so that, that's far more detailed. That's a typical ancient Near East recapitulation. It's not two separate created, creation accounts. It's just a normal ancient Near Eastern literary practice. 
Well, I think I'm that- sorry about these Bible colleges because the Bible colleges really, you can't always go by statements of faith. You need to know what they're actually teaching in class. A statement of faith is a dead letter if, in fact, most of the lecturers are allowed to undermine it in their, in their classes. Yeah, it's a really sad thing, you know, and talking mm-hmm. with uh, young men and women who are trying to find places that teach the Bible and accurately share it yeah. and actually care about it. Because it seems like, and uh, maybe you can uh, help with this as well, is it seems like there's an epistemological problem or where we get our standard even in terms of what we believe as Christians. And do you think that that is a lot of the concern that we have I know that I have, but maybe yourself as well, when it comes to those who try to, I guess, capitulate to the culture. Well, see, where do we where do we draw the line? You see, you've got to see Francis Collins is a fairly infamous theistic evolution. He founded Biologos, but then um, he's praised the LGBT Pride Month. Okay, so again, you you deny uh, that the Bible's reliable on history. The next step is to deny it's reliable on on morality. And he's one of the most high-profile theistic evolutionists around. Everyone looks to he's this great evangelical who believes in evolution as well. I don't know how evangelical you are if you actually support LGBT pride. Uh, I've never thought that pride in something God calls sin is a good idea. But that's that's I mean that, that's a logical thing. We we see this over and over again. Uh, it, the Compromise often doesn't stop with Genesis history. Once you've started, uh, you've you've undermined the first book of the Bible, um, on which the rest of the Bible refers to as history. You undermine the rest of the Bible, and you're undermining who Jesus is because he quoted, he clearly believed that was history. So, and so did the Apostle Paul. So did Peter. I think it's a real problem. Well, yeah, I would say, and as you said, the fruit gets bore on a lot of that, you know, when it comes to, Mm. as you said, when you get away from Genesis as a whole, and you get away from what we believe in terms of what the Bible says, how man and women were created and so forth, then as you said, you can support things like uh, Pride Month and so Mm. forth. I mean, I just could not imagine that is really heartbreaking to hear. But, you know, there's this, there's something else you talked about as well when you look at Genesis and you look at it literally. And I wanted to get this last um, part, uh, I guess, a few minutes ago, and I kind of passed mm-hmm. over, but I'd like to get back to it. And it has to do with Jesus being our kinsman redeemer. And that's something oh, you bring yeah. out in the book, and I think that is excellent. I'd love for other people to hear that as well. It was a prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah fifty nine twenty, that the Redeemer will come from Zion to, uh, to, to he, and he's described as the Goel, which in Hebrew is uh, the kinsman Redeemer. It's the same uh, word used in the book of Ruth, for instance, and the book of Ruth explains the kinsman Redeemer as he must be related by blood to those whom he redeems. So if Jesus is our promised kinsman Redeemer, he must be our blood relative. And the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, explains how he is our blood relative because this Gospel traces Jesus all the way back up to King David, uh, to Abraham, and then to Noah, and then to Adam, who's called the son of God, not the son of an ape. So no room for evolution in the Gospels either. It's because Jesus comes from Adam and the rest of humanity come from Adam, no matter what race or people group or country you come from. You come from Adam and therefore you can be saved through Jesus, your kinsman, Redeemer. If you throw out a a literal historical Adam, you throw out the kinsman, Redeemer idea as well. 
So it's a, it's a vitally important thing for the gospel and even for missionary work. Why go to missionary overseas uh, to preach the gospel unless they are also descendants of, 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 of the first man, Adam, and need to be saved by their kinsman redeemer, the last Adam, Jesus? Uh, and it's sad to say evolutionary teaching has done lots of harm. Like back in Australia, one of my home countries, um, they, the evolutionists thought the Aboriginals were less evolved. And even some of the church people said they're not evolved enough to, to understand the gospel. So it's, it's, this is not a side issue. Um, it's produced a tremendous a lot of harm. And in fact, even the racial issues we, we are, that are dividing the country, you go back to the evolutionists, they were quite clearly white supremacists. They believed the whites were more highly evolved than black people. And this persisted right up to World War II, uh, where for obvious reasons uh, racism got a bit discredited. But you go to Hunter's Civic Biology. You know, you've know, you heard of the Soap Scopes trial, 1925, almost 100 years ago now. Uh, the book they were teaching from was Hunter's Civic Biology, and that explicitly said the white race is the highest race of all, okay, because they are more highly evolved. Uh, they're further away from the apes than the black people are. But the Bible is very clear. Everyone comes from Adam. There's no such thing as a higher or lower race. We're all one race, the human race. Uh, or if you like, uh, you can say there's an Adamic race, the unsaved people, or the last Adamic race, which is those who are in Christ who are saved. That's the only racial division that I recognize and the Bible recognizes. Amen. And I think uh, Acts chapter 17, if you want some <laughs> New Testament yes. verses... Are very, very, very clear on that. And it goes right back, as you said. Acts 17 is one of my favorite texts. I mean, mm -hmm. in all of scripture, when you talk about sharing the gospel and I, that, that, yeah. that fact. All are made from one man, he says. But yeah, that's what Paul told the Greeks who are a bit uh, racist themselves and a bit elitist. No, you're all from one man. Everyone is made from one man. He's very clear on that. And they're created for one purpose. They may seek, grope, and find mm -hmm. perhaps uh, God. So. I think these things, as we said, and I cannot uh, bemoan the point any further that these things are important. What we believe about these mm. things, what you believe, it actually does change uh, a lot of your views on Scripture and how you go forth and even presenting the gospel. How dangerous it, was it? I mean, is it that somebody would think, well, they're less evolved, so they're not accountable uh, in the same mm. way? I mean, that is wicked. I mean, just it is wicked. Yep. wicked to, to mm -hmm. come to that conclusion. And I think people need to see how important that is to come to that conclusion and the ramifications of your views on Scripture and why it can be very dangerous to start, you know, taking on these different philosophies. And be careful mm. because, you know, the Bible's clear. The first to plead his case seems right until someone comes over and examines him. So we're hoping to examine mm. these cases uh, specifically with this show and for mm. other things as well. So I, I gotta I gotta ask you, um, you know, we just recently had, and I want to I want to also push you guys because I, I want you guys to check out the Genesis account. Doctor Safadi has a number of really good books as well, uh, refuting compromise and so forth. But also go to creation.com because creation.com. Yep. Mm -hmm. I have been reading the articles on there since I was a brand new Christian coming wow. out of atheism. Okay. And they have been so impactful for me in learning a lot of not only the biblical text and, and different arguments, but a lot of the scientific stuff you have on there. I think you guys, it's Creation uh, Ministries International, is that right? Yes, we, we're an international ministry. We've got seven offices around the world, and the United States one is, is based near Atlanta. That's where I live now. I was part out of the Brisbane office in Australia before. Got New Zealand, South Africa, UK, 
um, and, and Canada and Singapore offices too. And there are about 15,000 articles on our website, creation.com. And it's very easy to find what you're looking for just by typing in a search um, box uh, at the top right of every page. So very easy to find. Uh, you want to know about dinosaurs, radioactive dating, evidence for a young earth, um, uh, aliens, astronomy, anthropology, uh, history, um, what does Genesis mean? Why does it matter? All that's you can find uh, oodles of stuff on our website on that. No, amen. And that's why I wanted to plug it because yeah, I have be- benefited so much from creation.com and I, I think that you guys do such a great job. In fact, we recently interviewed Gary Bates as oh, yeah. well. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I think good. it's a perfect opportunity uh, mm-hmm. to start talking about aliens a little bit because you know what? You were featured in his documentary, Alien mm-hmm. Intrusion. And you talked a little bit about aliens, but I want to ask you, you know, are, is there any evidence or do you believe that there is life on other planets? Well, no, I don't. Uh, uh, because, again, you got the teaching that Earth was made day one. Uh, the other planets were made on day four along with the, the luminaries, the sun, moon and stars. So the planets are day four, Earth is day one. Also, um when Adam fell, the whole creation was good. So that's what Romans 8 says. The whole creation is groaning because of what Adam did in the garden. So that would mean that the Vulcans and the Klingons um, were affected by what happened, what Adam did. And then how do you save the the Vulcans Well, or the Klingons? Well, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on human nature to die for human sin. Hebrews 2 says he didn't die for angels, just for humans, uh, So, um, which also means he didn't take on Vulcan nature to die for Spock's sin. Okay, so uh, the, the um, creation as well as the incarnation are something unique to Earth, which rule out... Um, intelligent beings on other worlds for, uh, for that reason and i think in, in the alien the truth i talked about some scientific well actually there are i've written some scientific problems like um what are the energy requirements to uh, to get a spacecraft even to a third of light speed so it would take 12 years to get to our nearest star outside the solar system uh but it take more uh, energy than the the entire energy output of the whole earth and then how do you uh bre- to break it or how do you turn it you you couldn't even turn in the radius of neptune's orbit otherwise it would the, the g-force would crush everything inside it okay so there are a few little physical problems that um uh, Star Trek basically has to gloss over. I mean, I'm a big fan of Star Trek. I think I've watched everything except for the new, the new one. Um, but the the physics uh, is just it has to be glossed over. Even sublight speeds, it would be far too um, energy consuming and far too G-force producing to uh, to produce interstellar travel. Well. Well, I got to ask then. You know, you have all these abductions going on and so oh, forth. Yeah. You have you have you know, people spotting things and seeing things here and there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to ask you, what do you think those aliens really are then? Well, I think in the show, we show a lot of those things are sort of mis- misidentifications of things. I mean, I've seen a, a fluorescent zeppelin, which could have been, a, might have been a spaceship if you didn't know any better. You have things like the uh, secret technology of Russia versus um, America during the Cold War, and um, they were developing rockets. So, of course, when a, a jet fighter pilot saw a craft um, overtaking at enormous speed, what was it? Well, it was actually one of his own rockets, but they didn't know about it. So, it's really. Um, 
straightforward, really. So it's a government cover-up, but not the sort of government cover-up people think. It's just their own technology they're covering up during the Cold War. But I think there are a few, maybe 10% of, of things which are not explainable this way, in which case I'd say there's some sort of demonic thing going on there. But I'd say that would not be the majority of the of the cases but there is a minority which do seem to be something very dangerous and to be avoided and it's interesting how evangelical christians seem to be immune from this sort of um uh, abduction experience because the holy the indwelling holy spirit is is a, a perfect shield against demonic spirits amen to that i think in alien intrusion that was probably my favorite part was seeing that the reality of you know the power in the name of jesus and one of the things he talks about is he goes through the sons of skiva and so forth oh, yeah. it seems like that mm-hmm. it was real believers that actually ones that i believe he called them walk the walk talk the talk uh kind of believers you know not the mm-hmm. ones that you know, they would say, Paul, I know, but I don't know this guy. <laughs> but, yeah, pretty serious, that one. Goodness. Mm. No, amen. And I, I think that's, you know, excellent. And so I know we're, we're already, I, I don't want to wrap up too too fast here, mm-hmm. but I would love to get um, just some, some good evidences uh, specifically for people, especially you as a scientist. You've studied, you've mm-hmm. written uh, entire books refuting uh, Darwinian evolution. Mm-hmm. So maybe, and take your time on it, but I would love to go your best evidence. You said, hey, you were sitting down, let's call it, you know, an elevator ride, but a little long elevator ride. You're stuck on a few floors. And give give me your best evidence against Darwinian evolution. Well, one of it is the amazing complexity of every self-reproducing cell. The amount of information is literally encyclopedic, even for a simple cell to be able to replicate itself and to diagnose uh, repair. And the last few decades, we've seen that the cell has amazing machines, and the machines basically have to be perfect in things like copying or error checking. You see, if... Uh, the machine made even tiny errors, then the next copy of that machine would actually have more errors, which would do a worse job of error checking, which would make even worse errors. So you've got this thing which which shows uh, that things had to be created very good or they wouldn't work at all. This is what Genesis uh, 1 tells you. Everything started off very good, and what we're seeing is degeneration. You see, these machines couldn't start off as anything but very good or they wouldn't work at all. And then when you talk about things like the age of things, well, they found things like DNA and proteins in dinosaur bones, which are meant to have died uh, 66 million years ago. Uh, And yet, as I mentioned, how DNA is quite unstable and studies of how fast it breaks down in bone, uh, even protected by bone, um, if it's minus 5 Celsius or uh, 25 Fahrenheit, uh, 23 Fahrenheit, um, it should be broken down completely into its individual building blocks in about 7 million years, and yet quite intact DNA has been found in dinosaur bones 10 years old, 10 times as old as that, to 68 million years old, supposedly, but the, the, the DNA is not even fragmented in 10 times the maximum survival time. And they believe dinosaurs were tropical creatures, therefore the, the, the warmth would break DNA down in a matter of a few thousand years. So what we find is actually consistent with these dinosaurs being buried by the flood 4,500 years ago. It's a, it's the, what we see is in the ballpark of what we'd expect at that time and at that temperature, but not um, 68 million years 
old as they claim. Um, other things like other things like carbon fourteen in diamonds. Carbon fourteen decays really quickly um, after uh, one half life of fifty seven hundred years. Half of it's left. After a second half life, it's a quarter, then an eighth, then a sixteenth. So after twenty half lives, you've got about one millionth of the original amount. And it starts off as one every trillion atoms of carbon is carbon-14. So you could do the calculation. The whole Earth could be carbon-14 to start with. And after a million years, it's not, there's nothing you could find. You couldn't find any. So when you find carbon-14 in diamonds, which are claimed to be billions of years old, but they, it, it means that they haven't had time to, for the carbon to decay so it means they must be under 100,000 years old. I mean, not saying they are 100,000 years, I'm told that the 100,000 years is an upper limit of how old they could possibly be. Uh, and see so that necessarily carbon-14 in coal and diamonds is very strong evidence against the millions and billions of years uh, that they claim. So you've got to make a choice. Is carbon-14 accurate or are the millions of years accurate? You have to pick one, not, not both. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. You put them in a, a quite the quandary there. Um, you know, I want to ask as well, you mentioned Noah's flood. And mm -hmm. I want to ask specifically, what do you think the best evidence is that we have today, you know, modern science today, for a global worldwide flood? Well, I usually give three lines of evidence. One is how uh, the layers must have been formed rapidly, which is why we have these fossils buried in, in them. Let's face it, you don't see fossil roadkill because to, everything would disappear, be disintegrated, rot away, be eaten by scavengers. So the fact we have these big fossils show they must have been buried deeply and rapidly. And then the layers are, in, are often continent-wide layers or even transcontinental layers. So you've got not just a local burial but a burial that covered a huge amount so you've got globally uh, continuous uh, rock strata so that talks about a global cause to cause such a global effect and then you've got very little time between the layers because of the contact line is flat there's uh, no time for mass millions of years of erosion and you have things like raindrop marks and ripple marks uh, animal tracks are in these layers but you know what it's like you, you you go outside and leave some tracks they're not going to last for more than a few days are they uh, so the idea that somehow they were exposed to the elements for millions of years before being buried by the next layer doesn't make much sense. They had to have been cemented in place. So what we see in the record is rapidly formed layers of very wide extent, but also very little time between the layers, so one after the other after the other. And this is just what a global flood would produce. No, I think that's uh, amazing, you know, and I, I was just reading an article because uh, theoretical astrophysicist Luke mm -hmm. Barnes has said, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. I've left the young earth creationist view. And I, I'd say we got yeah, about five that. minutes left. And I would love for you, and I'm just using him as an example of maybe if you had a chance to speak to someone who was like, you know what, I'm going to leave the mm -hmm. young earth, the, the, the creationist view, and I'm going off to an old earth view but i'm still going to be a christian and so forth mm. if there was an appeal you could make to them how would you make that well, appeal actually i respect luke barnes quite a lot i've actually uh, quote i quoted him in the genesis account uh, with approval you might uh, remember i think genesis uh, chapter five i quoted luke barnes i've read his book on fine-tuning the co-authored with his former lecturer uh, garant lewis that's a very good book actually i've, I've learned quite a lot of stuff from that and the thing is there's some irony there because he's actually written a 
critical review of Jerry Coyne's book called Why Evolution is True. And he points out the, the logical flaws there. He calls some one of those claims bollocks. That's his, Luke Barnes's word. He says very clearly that, that Coyne has not uh, interacted with the way, the way young Earth creationists should have, uh, would have answered the point. So it's interesting. Um, he says he's abandoned young Earthers because some creationists did, didn't argue properly in his opinion but he's not abandoning evolution because a prominent evolutionist made some mistakes that he um, uh, criticized quite sharply in his review and in fact uh, yeah by the way i do know his father uh, i've been one of these creationists who spoke in his father's church his father's a very well respected um apologist and theologian as well as a busy pastor in australia dr peter barn reverend dr peter barnes i've interviewed him for creation magazine so yeah i i know what he's talking about i mean the things well okay um this creationist said that the brontosaurus had the wrong head put on it well okay I've said that too, but the reason that I've just said that to point out that Noah had didn't have to take a pair of brontosauruses on the ark because it didn't exist. That's just what, the way I would use that, not to say, um, oh, look at how stupid evolutionists are, because that's not the way we, we run in my ministry. So, um, But then it gets into how he actually justifies uh, <clears throat> the... Uh, not believing Genesis straightforward. He doesn't really get into the problems of trying to mix evolution and long ages with uh, the the biblical arguments. The, the, for instance, the ones that I, we've been discussing earlier. So I, I think he didn't really interact properly with, with uh, the theological problems of, of trying to mix up millions of years with evolution. Yeah, I think, you know, it's important to have these discussions because, as you said, you know, there is there are ramifications for these things. You know, when you start adapting, uh, well, this, I believe this, 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 this now, and it seems like those, I, you know, from what I read in the article, yeah, mm. it doesn't seem like there's a, a real strong, um, in terms of me, it's a real strong argument against theologically. Um, I don't think he's making a very good argument. Not that I think there's a great argument to make, but it wasn't really much of a scientific, mainly about all oh, I've learned about Big Bang cosmology, and it's actually a good, good science. Um, oh, and creationists can't help with certain things. Well, okay, if it's a theological argument against Christianity, you go to a Christian philosopher, and they can argue better because they're philosophy trained and not because they're young earth or old earth. So, those are, I think, there are a few things in that article which I thought were very weak and very much different from the uh, good arguments he's you I know he can use and have has used, and which. I've quoted myself. Well, I, you know, like I said, I, I do think that these are important, and we do be, we do believe that this can really come down to a gospel issue, especially as Dr. Safadi had already pointed out that when we talk about some of those who do adapt or do change or you know look into this theistic evolution version, or you know when it comes to Genesis, not so literal and not the wooden literal translation mm. that you know we hear so often, and it's so interesting because it seems like. The reason why I, I think I care so much about this topic, and I'm, I'm sure you know you've dedicated a lot of your Christian walk to it, is I've noticed it's been so popular, especially here in the states, especially for Christian artists to deconstruct. And it seems like, and and maybe you oh, could yeah. agree. I don't know if you agree with this as well. It seems like the first step to that is denying at least parts of the Word of God. 
Well, I think it's a very dangerous slippery slope to start denying parts of the world of God because you're basically saying that Jesus got things wrong, and when you, when you say Jesus got things wrong, that's an attack on his divinity. You know, just that's going beyond the pale. Uh, I think when, when you start saying Jesus made mistakes, well, because maybe he was mistaken when he said God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Did he get that wrong as well? Uh, so where do you where, where do you stop? Uh, it really, um, I don't think it's a slippery slope fallacy. It's a slippery slope reality. Yeah, amen. I could not agree more. And I want to encourage you guys, if you have not checked out creation.com, just go to right now. Leave this interview and go check it out. Check some articles out. Search those things that maybe you have questions about. Maybe you have things Mm -hmm. that that are tough for you to answer. Maybe you like to share the gospel on the streets and these things are brought up. And that's why I love you guys tackling aliens, carbon dating, uh, evolution, whatever it is. You guys are really on the front lines there with creation.com. And also, guys, if you're looking for, and I've had multiple people, hey, do you know of a good Genesis commentary? Well, this one right here, the Genesis account, has grown to be my favorite one, especially when we're talking about this specific topic. So I wanted to thank you so much, Dr. Safadi, for joining us on the Good Fight Radio Show. You've been a real blessing. Well, thank you again. Thanks for having me on. And guys, once again, go check out creation.com. Go check out the Genesis account and all the other books that Dr. Safadi has been writing. So God bless you guys. See you guys later. For the alien, here we go. (laughs) God bless. Praise the Lord. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll-free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.